Well, good morning, everyone, to those of you following along online and to all of you here in the building. Uh, it's great to see so many of you. Uh, this morning, we'll take some time uh, dedicated to the Lord's Supper, as you see here, which will reflect upon Jesus uh, submitting his life uh, for our sins, dying on the cross for our sins. Uh, our passage from, uh, for this morning is from First Peter, uh, and that speaks about uh, the element of submission. Um, we see that too in another part in um, the New Testament in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, it just really highlighted what Jesus has done for us and then how we should live in the light of that. Um, so the words should be on the screen there, but let me read from Philippians 2, which really captures uh, some of the theme of this morning. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him who is the King of glory, that he came down to earth, came to us, uh, to our sinful lives, to redeem us, and to bring us back to you. We thank you that he submitted fully to you, that he would bring us back, and that we would worship you in turn. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning to do that, to worship you with all of our hearts. May you speak to us this morning, Lord, uh, through your word, as Neil preaches. Help us uh, to be built up through it. Help us to be corrected by it. We pray for Neil that you would give him boldness and freedom and clarity. And he would preach to our hearts that we might love you more and live for you as a result. I pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Our reading today is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, starting at verse 11. So if you've got that in your Bibles, it would be great to have it open. So starting at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. 
For For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. (coughs) Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him him her Lord. You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs uh, with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thanks, Tash. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we do thank you for your word. And as we come to study it together now, we pray that we would be able to see Jesus, that we would be able to become more like him in every aspect of our lives, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, some of you I know have at some point in your lives lived in a foreign country. Um, Some of you may be foreigners living in this country right now. In the past, I've spent a few years living in uh, in Germany and and in Brazil. It's a very rewarding experience to try to get to know a a different language, to try to get to know a different culture. Um, Your objective as a foreigner, often in another country, is to fit into the culture as much as you can. Your great objective to be taken for one of the natives, so hard as that may be. But if we are Christians, as this passage describes, we are foreigners and exiles in this world. We look at the world through a completely different lens. We behave in a different way. We have a different purpose and different values. But what this letter makes clear is that our objective is not to try and fit in to the world, but to acknowledge, to rejoice in the fact that we are different. To see it as a privilege to be part of what Peter describes at the end of the passage he looked at last time in verse 10, where he said, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises 
of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Of course, the big question is, if we are God's chosen people, then how do we live as foreigners in a world that has rejected God? Peter starts this section in verse 11 by saying, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And then he carries on in verse 12. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. As Christians, we are called to be witnesses for God through our good deeds. We're meant to impact others through the way we live our lives. Of course, we cannot control how they respond to us. In some cases, it may lead to rejection or persecution. But in others, it may lead to people glorifying God by putting their trust in Jesus. And so Peter focuses on three key areas of life to show what it looks like to live as a Christian in the areas of society, the workplace, and the home. And in each of these, we're told to submit. Our submission is about accepting the authority of somebody else over you. And I think one of the biggest causes of uh, social breakdown in this country has been the erosion of respect for those in authority. Because of poor parenting or or absent parents, recent generations of children have grown up with no respect for the authority of uh, teachers, uh, the police, politicians, and just adults in general. I remember when our boys uh, were younger, uh, standing in disbelief on the touchlines of the football pitch, witnessing some parents uh, model to their children just how to argue with the referee, uh, teaching them that winning the match was much more important than respecting authority. Sin is basically about refusing to submit to the authority that God has over us as human beings, human beings that he has created. As Christians, we accept his authority over our lives, but we're also called to accept the authority that he gives to others over us because he does it for our good. So let's have a look at the three areas of life in which we are called to submit. And the first of those is um, in verse 13, submit to the civil authorities. Peter writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Well, this week we voted for our, our local councillors. A couple of years ago we voted for our, our members of parliament. In so doing, we're giving them the authority to, to govern us. But ultimately, as we read in Romans 13, it says there, there is no authority except that which God has established. It goes on, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. We're all called to submit to the governing authorities, and even when they are secular, because that is the pattern that God has established to coexist peacefully in this world. If the world is a mess with such governing authorities, then imagine what it would be like without such governing authorities. And we're called to do that for the Lord's sake, it says here, because he has established these structures of authority. He is pleased when we submit to them. Trouble is, because of our sinful natures, there's still part of us, an independent spirit that does not like to be told what to do. 
that wants to be in control of our lives, that wants to be free from rules. The ironic thing is that true freedom comes from living as we were designed to live. Verse 16 says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. True freedom is not simply about doing what I want to do. Because with our limited human wisdom, uh, we don't always know what is best for us. Imagine being invited into the cockpit of an aeroplane and being told, you've got freedom to fly this plane. You'd say, well, thanks very much, but I don't really want that freedom. I've got no idea how to fly. I'm just going to crash it. Living our lives without submitting to God is like an untrained pilot, like a child flying a plane. It's a crash waiting to happen. Of course, God's command to submit to the governing authority still has a condition that we're not forced to go against God's will. When Peter and the other apostles were arrested after um, Pentecost for proclaiming the gospel, they were told by the high priest, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. But they replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. When the government starts to undermine God's laws, then we need to hold them to account. When they start to threaten our freedom to, to live out our faith, then we need to peacefully protest. Up to now in this country, uh, not many Christians have had to choose between submitting to the civil authorities and submitting to God, but it is becoming more and more frequent. Just a couple of weeks ago, a 71-year-old pastor in London was removed forcefully from the podium where she was standing, handcuffed and taken away by the police. He wasn't charged, he was released without charge, but um, the, um, the accusation was that he was being homophobic when he was just preaching from the Bible. We need to submit to the civil authorities, but may God give us the courage to stand up for the truth and to stand up for God when we need to. Well, the second area in which we are called to live godly lives and to submit is in the workplace. Submit to your boss at work. Verse 18 says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Now, when we read slaves, you probably think of the 18th century slave trade. Africans shipped off in, tra- in chains to the colonies, enduring terrible, inhumane conditions. But the word translated slaves here is more like domestic servants, which most slaves were in those times. They were generally well-treated often included managers, tradesmen, um, doctors, nurses, teachers. They normally paid for their services and could expect eventually to purchase their freedom. Ultimately, they were not free to come and go, and their status, though, was lower than others in Roman society. So there's no exact comparison with um, anything today, but it's quite appropriate to apply it to the situation of an employee. An employee may be free to resign, but... Whilst working, they're subject to various terms and conditions in their contract. They're not free to simply do what they want to do. And often they'll be asked to do things which they would rather not do. The workplace is the place where most of us spend um, most of our time. And so it's the main place for living out the Christian faith. It's the main place for impacting those around you. So whether you've got your dream job and you uh, love going to work each morning, 
or whether you just want to get out as soon as you can. Work is never going to be perfect. Work was designed to be God, by God to be an exciting and fulfilling experience, but as a result of the fall, it's become frustrating and hard. There'll be difficult decisions to make, awkward colleagues to relate to, things that um, you rely on that just don't work. <clears throat> if you're a young person here at school, don't sort of switch off for this moment because you need to prepare yourself for that time when you will be in the workplace. And if you're retired and think, well, that no longer applies to me anymore, well, it's important to know how to pray for your brothers and sisters who are still in the workplace. They need your prayers. Well, the key to this command is that we should submit to our masters in reverent fear of God. Just as the previous verse finishes with a command to fear God, and the theme throughout this letter is to live your lives in reverent fear of God, the general point here is that we should fear God more than we fear human bosses. After all, the reason that Peter gives in verse 19 for someone to endure the pain of unjust suffering in the workplace is that they are conscious of God. So the message here for us today is that we should accept the authority of our, our boss, do what he or she asks you to do, with all respect for their position. But fear God before your boss. The workplace, as I said, is for many Christians the biggest testing place for showing what is more important, our job or our relationship with God. Do we treat job security as more important than our security in Christ? Do we fear losing our job more than dishonoring God? Fear God more than your boss. And if we've understood that order of priority, then that helps us understand what follows. Because verse 18 continues, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Many of you will have worked for harsh bosses or companies that are harsh with their employees. You may still do. I trust that you don't receive a physical beating, but uh, there are many ways of being unjustly treated, aren't there? What it's not talking about is being disciplined for a poor attitude, a poor level of work, or or laziness. That, it says here, is just not commendable. It's a poor witness for Christ. But often we'll get our heads down, we will do a good job, show kindness to our colleagues, and still be treated unfairly. What do we do in that situation? Well, it's actually when we experience injustice that we have the biggest opportunity to witness for Christ. Let's think of some examples. You have a boss uh, who has no respect from his team, who's doing a poor job at managing. Maybe they're under stress themselves and they're taking it out on their team. And the result is that everybody has a good old moan about them. It's just all going on around. Can't get away from it. And you'd love to do the same, just release some of that frustration. But because you're called to respect your boss, you don't get caught up in it. Instead, you address those valid concerns in a gracious, constructive way. You, you follow the proper grievance procedures. 
Or maybe you're doing a good job, but you just don't feel your performance is being recognized. Um, and someone else has been promoted instead of you, simply because maybe they're just more in with the, the boss. How do you react in that situation? Do you think uh, how unfair it is to you, how badly you have been treated? Or do you ask yourself, well, why is that promotion so important to me? Is it the status? Is it the, the extra money, the, the recognition? Or maybe there's a reason why God has not allowed that at this time. Sometimes it may be right to, to leave a job. But as Christians, we shouldn't be those who map out their careers and get frustrated when things don't go according to our plans. But those who show great endurance and trust in God and his timing. How you deal with setbacks is a huge opportunity for witness because it shows that you trust in a God who will provide for all of your needs. Or thirdly, submit to your husband. Chapter 3, verse 1 starts by saying, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now, this teaching is not unique to this passage. We read about it in 1 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5, where it says, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. The principle is that the husband has been given a different role from the wife in their marriage. As it says in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. The husband's primary responsibility towards his wife is to help her to grow in holiness, to help her into her submission to Christ. It is when the husband is fulfilling this role well that the wife is able to submit more easily. Which is why the Bible teaches that a Christian should not marry someone who's not a Christian, because they will not be able to fulfill that primary responsibility. But what about if the wife becomes a Christian and the husband doesn't? Um, well, let's read on. Um, it says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. If the husband is not a believer and therefore not able to live up to that primary role as a husband, how can you submit to his spiritual leading? Well, in many ways, it's the same for all of us living as Christians in a secular society where we're called to submit to the governing authorities. We win people over through our behavior when people see the purity and reverence of our lives. What does that look like? Well, it goes on to say, wives, in the same way, it says your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Unfading means that unlike external beauty, which will disappear with age, inner beauty will not just last a lifetime, but an eternity. It will not disappear when this world comes to an end, it will not fade. It's part of one's character. It's what's on the, the inside. It's not saying here that women should not spend time on their external beauty, on their, their hair and clothes, but uh, the more time should be spent cultivating a godly character. Such a character is marked by purity and reverence. A way of living that is Christ-like in its morality and in its concern for others. It's not corrupted by the cares 
and concerns of the world. This is the type of beauty that will win over an unbelieving husband to the Lord. Not one that attempts to convert him by arguing with him, making him feel guilty or worthless. This is the type of beauty that it says is of great worth in God's sight. And the key to that beauty is the gentle and quiet spirit. The word for gentle here is the, the same one used to describe Jesus. Do you remember the series of devotions we were doing, gentle and lowly? If Christ in all his majesty can be described as gentle, then we're not talking here weak or pathetic. We're emphasizing a very strong characteristic of humility. It's the attitude of someone who doesn't keep pushing themselves forward at the expense of others, who doesn't demand their own rights, who's satisfied with however much or however little that they have. It's the attitude of someone who doesn't moan and groan when they don't get their own way. The reason the wife here is described as gentle and quiet is because she has put her hope in God and knows how much God loves her. What about the role of husbands in a marriage? Verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is talking about the normal situation now where the husband is a Christian and so husband and wife are joint heirs of the gracious gift of life. They are equal in the sight of God. They just have different roles to perform. The literal translation of be considerate as you live with your wives is um, live according to knowledge. Live together according to knowledge. In other words, understand your wife's desires, her goals, her ambitions, as well as her frustrations. Understand her strengths and her weaknesses, her physical, emotional and spiritual ones. Learn to know her so well that you know her every need and are willing to do something to help her. Treat them with respect is also quite a weak translation. It's more like bestow honour on them. Treat them as special. And if if as men and women we can grasp this, then all the arguments about why should I submit to my husband become irrelevant because why would you not want to submit to somebody who is so concerned for every aspect of your life, who wants to help you grow? Some of this may have been hard to hear this morning, particularly if you're struggling in your workplace. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. So as we finish, what is the motivation for us to submit in all of these areas? Well, the answer is in verse 21. And these verses are very appropriate as we prepare to take communion together shortly. Verse 21 says, To this, but which has meant this life of suffering, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What exactly were the steps he took? What is the example that we should follow? Is it that we should die for others? But we can't achieve what Christ achieved on the cross when he took the punishment for our sins, when he made it possible for us to be forgiven and saved and to enjoy a relationship with God. We're not God. We can't do that. So in what way can we follow his example? Well, the steps that Christ took, as we heard early on in this service, were steps of humble obedience to the Father. The Father sent the Son to die. The Son went willingly because the Son submitted himself to the will of the Father. 
He didn't go begrudgingly or, or under duress. But he went because he too loved the world that he was going to die for. And so when he went, he first lived a, a perfect, obedient life. Verse 22, it says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. And that is the example we need to follow in all of these different aspects of life. To entrust each situation into God's hands. That doesn't mean we shouldn't put right injustice when we see it. If there is abuse or discrimination going on in the workplace, then we should point that out. This is not a command to suffer in silence. But where we are mistreated and feel aggrieved, the temptation is often to to fall into a sinful response to that. The temptation is to be resentful, to be rebellious, to be full of self-pity or despair. But we're called to respond in a way that is conscious of God, which means we are aware of his presence, we are aware of his never-failing care, and we trust that ultimately he will right all wrongs. So as we endure suffering, we will become more like Christ, and which, if we are Christians, should be our goal in life. As we demonstrate our trust in him, we pray that we will attract others to him. And like Christ, having experienced his suffering, we will look forward to the day when we will be glorified with him in heaven. Father God, we do thank you for the privilege of being your chosen people. But that has come with it some great challenges and struggles as foreigners and exiles in this world. And so we thank you for this teaching this morning about how we can live that out in the different situations in which we find ourselves. And we do lift up those who may be struggling in these situations this morning. We do pray that you would give them strength and endurance. And ultimately, Lord, we pray you'd give us a trust in you, that you are there for us. Make us conscious of you in every situation. Help us not to respond to unjust suffering, in an unchristlike way, but through our response to demonstrate Christ in all we do, we pray you'd cultivate in each one of us a gentle and quiet spirit. We pray that through our witness, people will be drawn to Christ himself as we follow in his example. So Lord, prepare our hearts and minds now as we come to your table to rejoice in what Christ did for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Great, as we come to the Lord's table together, it's really a time to remember, a time to remember of what the Lord has done for us, uh, but also to give thanks for him. Uh, we give thanks as we wait for that day for the ultimate banquet with him in heaven. And so we remember, as we remember what he has done for, him, done for us, we, we ponder upon the words just preached to us from First Peter. Uh, specifically, verse 23 and 24 of chapter 2. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It is that Jesus Christ has taken the full punishment for our sins upon the cross on himself. That he himself bore our sins and that we have been healed or saved and we can respond in worship to live for him. And so this meal preaches that gospel message to us. It preaches that Jesus has paid for our sins in full. Perhaps that's maybe not true of you this morning and you have yet to trust in our Lord Jesus as the Lord of your life and the saviour of your sins. If that is the case, then please let the bread and the wine just pass by you. But maybe take the time to reflect upon what it would mean to follow him, to receive him as Lord of your life and saviour of your sins. Let me invite the distributors, the the servers up um, to come and take the trays and uh, they'll, they'll pass them round. Uh, when you when you take your little container, please peel off the top, peel out the wafer, and then take the second uh, layer, and then you'll have the, the juice. Just hold on to those, and we'll eat and drink together. Thanks. As the Apostle Paul writes in First uh, Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, uh, took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your ultimate sacrifice. We thank you for the fact that you gave your life for us, that your body was broken for us and your blood shed for us, that we stand before you as holy, blameless, and forgiven people. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. We pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit to live lives which please you this week. May we go forth from here today living as your holy ambassadors in uh, in the world. May we be light uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've been built up in the Lord, we want to to go out and live for him. And we will do that uh, just as we think of this last song is let your kingdom come. So let's stand for that. Uh, as we move out, please do just keep moving. And uh, as I said at the beginning, please do uh, encourage one another uh, with a tea or a coffee uh, afterwards in the garden, just trying to encourage one another and build one another up. Um, and thinking about encouragement, uh, we're praying at five this evening. So I uh, want to really encourage many of you to be part of that as we pray for the church and for others as well. So on that, let me pray as we close. Father God, we thank you for uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who submitted himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he would give us life. Lord, help us to live uh, quiet and gentle lives that we would display Christ in every part of our lives. We help, help us, we pray, by the power of your spirit to live lives which please you and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.